today we're talking about finances. Oh, money. And being in Hawaii for 16 days is possible because of finances. Oh, that's real. And so we thought that we would share some of our thoughts on what it means to be aligned financially as a couple, which is so, so important. If you were to think of like, what are the reasons why human beings who are in relationship fight? If we were at the family feud and like it was Richard Dawson yes. or it was or Steve Harvey, Steve Har- oh, Steve Harvey's now doing yep. it. But uh, money, money. Ding. Yeah. It would be the number, number one, one answer, answer on the board. Number one answer. And then we would say pay, like player, player pass. And I would probably pass because after money, I don't know what people fight about. Oh, that's a good point. Yes, I do. Yeah, I do. We've I covered, think of some we've things. covered them in every episode. <laughs> I'd play. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis. And I'm Dave Hollis. And we're married. For like 15 years. And we have four kids. That's like a thousand kids. We've been foster parents to four kids as well. And we're running a business together. That's a lot of things. It is a lot of things. But we know that it's possible to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life. So if you want some tips and tricks on how we get through all the things, this is Rise Together. was the number one fight my parents had was was money mm. it's 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 such a memory for me of my childhood is them fighting over where the money was how we were going to find money for things what we could or couldn't afford like it it's such a it was such a part of why they struggled so much you know what's interesting i actually I can remember, because I also grew up in a family with few means. Uh, My parents had four kids in like six years. They were crazy people. And my dad was a construction worker, contractor. My mom stayed at home, hardest job in the world. And they just didn't have a lot of money. And so any conversation about money that was had in front of us kids was a catalyst for anxiety for me. Like, I really really got um, well your mom has anxiety about money oh yeah yeah well here's the thing like my parents were raised by parents who themselves were products of a like childhood that has had them just coming out of a depression Mm -hmm. they like lived through world wars that like they had they had a harder life and they came out of a financial environment that had less certainty and so they were the products of the uncertainty of their parents, my grandparents, showing it's, up in the way that it's they... It's so interesting because I would guess that, at least on my dad's side, I come from much poorer people than you come from. But I don't have, like, I don't think that my dad's family or my dad, like, it wasn't, they didn't have anxiety about it. It's just, I'm just processing this in real time. I think that there was a lot of fear. The psychology of your family was fear about money. And the psychology of my family, I think, would be a bit more about, my gut says, like, scarcity. Mm. Like, there's not, there's not enough. Or if someone else has it, then that means that I can't have it, too. Interesting. Like, I, I would almost think that they would teeter more towards, like, anger at other people who had than fear that we didn't have enough. 
Oh, that's, oh, yeah. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. And I I say that because I think that for listeners, the first and most important question you can ask when it comes to finances is what did I learn either consciously or unconsciously from my family of origin as it pertains to money? That's such a good question to ask. So many of the things that I have done as an adult, both before I met you, once I met you, once we had kids, are in some ways, and most of them on an unconscious, subconscious level, a reflection of my family of origin. I remember when we bought a house, like our third like our third house. That sounds not like we own three houses at once, but over the course of our lives, we were buying a home. How fearful your mom was about us buying a home. And I remember thinking like, totally from a place of love on her part, but she was like so afraid for us. And I'm like, you don't know our fine. Like, why would you be afraid? Which by the way, we were great. We, we would not overextend ourselves. We could afford the house, but she was so fearful. It was kind of the first time that I had that like click, like, Oh man, this is such a narrative for you guys. Oh man. Like so much of what drove my like wanting to have a, like, like when I got the opportunity at the Walt Disney company to have a contract, where they wanted to guarantee that they would keep me. I did not see that so much uh, through any other lens than I have the promise of what ended up being four years of time that they were saying, I'm going to make sure every two weeks a paycheck comes into your bank account. It's so funny. I'm like, I'm, I'm smiling because my psychology is I hate the idea of a contract. I hate being locked in. You know this about me. You can think of all these business oh, yeah. situations right now where I hate the idea that you have made a plan or done something that you are now stuck in because you took money from someone. Oh, yeah. Here's a, the, I mean, this is a little off topic, but just to explain the psychology of when that first contract expired and it was time to sign a second contract. I still had that same kind of certainty mentality and knowing for sure that I was going to have the ability to provide for our family was like, so what my, I thought soul, my body, my everything needed. When the third contract came up, it was a catalyst for a massive midlife crisis meltdown because that thing that driven my entire life because of the influence of my family of origin, this thing, certainty, instead of being a thing that I could rest easy in and take comfort from, felt like shackles. And the signing of that third deal was a thing that began the end of me working at the company because I realized, oh my goodness, I have to get out of here. And both of the, both contracts two and three, I argued against. Yeah. And it did not go well for me. <laughs> you are so the thing is, you were arguing against a thing that existed in my being for thirty-eight years. Yeah, I mean, like I had so much muscle memory for that certainty of knowing that the guarantee of that paycheck was going to be there. Yeah, that the idea of not having it guaranteed was a thing that you had so much. You had as much or more certainty in our ability to find a way to make yeah. money. Well, I think this isn't necessarily financial, but this is definitely a like capital T truth for me. I want to live or die by my own sword. Yeah. You know that expression like I 
do not trust a lot of people. This sounds like a therapy session. Bring it. But particularly as it pertains to business. I don't mean like our team. Our team's incredible. But I don't trust partners. I don't trust I do not have good. In fact, when we do partner with someone and they actually keep their word and are good, like I think of Fathom. We did, we did, we released a, a movie last summer with Fathom. Fathom was an incredible partner so to good. us. Yeah, and it was one of the first times I was like, every, I was like, oh my, oh, this is what it's like when someone works with integrity and does what they say they're going to do and cares about the quality of their. So I, I hesitate to go into contract, to do anything where someone like gives you money in advance and then I'd, oh my, it makes me feel twitchy. Here's the thing. What you're recognizing is like, there's a little bit of this, like, what are your intentions here? Question mark. And the reality is everyone who wants to be in relationship with you financially has intentions that are not necessarily in your best interest. Yeah. They're in their best interest. Totally. And so as we're, as this business continues to grow, there are more partners that have more interests that, by the way, sometimes align with, but usually have business terms that are written originally if they're coming from them to us in their best interest, not ours. Well, and my thing is, if you, I, I'm, I think I, I struggle with it so much because I am so, I work so hard and I am, you know, I'm in competition with myself. I am hardest on myself. And so I cannot stand, I can't stand it when people in, in business, when they don't try, you know, what's when interesting they mail is it in. you have such a, it's like justice I principle, do. I what, do. like what, whatever the word is, it's like, <laughs> you're like, I do this much. I put in this much effort and I'm taking out this little amount and you put in Ugh. this very small amount of effort and you're taking out this much bigger amount. There's no justice in that. See and you, the entire publishing industry. You want to fight City I Hall do. every and day on justice. And I will. What's amazing, honestly, and this is great because as a person, again, who's been more fixed mindset oriented in my lifetime, I've tended to take on face value this is the way that things are done. Yeah. This is the way the business is done. No. This is the way that things are done. And the beauty of our partnership in this business is Rachel does not care how anything has ever been done. No. Period. It's 2019. Like things are moving too fast. And just because something has always been done a certain way doesn't mean it has to be. Look, here's what I believe. I, I was just thinking about this this morning. I'm trying to think of the setting. Oh, about what I wear on stage. Oh, okay, geez. we're we're taking a whole oh, side. So this is a whole sidebar, but bear with me for a second. When you are starting in uh, an industry, when you're coming up in the world, you have to play by other people's rules. That that's what it, I tell my kids this all the time. Like they'll say, "Oh, my teacher doesn't let me," but and I'm like, "Yeah, you're in her domain. When you're in her domain, you play by her rules." Maybe last year's teacher didn't care if you just shouted out an answer, but this year's teacher wants you to raise your hand. And you're in her classrooms, so you play by her rules, you raise your hand. When I was coming up as a speaker, you know, you had to play by certain rules, you had to do things. And something that pops up every once in a while that makes my head explode, my blood boil, ugh. Settle down. Is 
people will try to sneak into contracts or say to me as they're doing prep calls for me to go to a keynote speech for someone, what I'm supposed to wear. <laughs> I mean, I, I had a call this morning and I like, I was shaking. I was so pissed. A man, a freaking man. Always got to be a man yep, trying to mansplain what a woman needs to, to wear. Tried to tell me what I was supposed to wear on stage. And I said... I have been dressing myself for 34 years. And what I would ask you right now is if you ever tell your male keynote speakers what they are supposed to wear. Hello. I don't get paid because of uh, wearing business casual. I get paid because people came to your events because they saw my name on the marquee. Number one, I get paid because if people are sitting in that audience, they will leave here inspired and motivated and ready to take. That's why I get paid. But I'm going to do that work in jeans because I did that work for a decade in an awful colored pantsuit because I had to play by your rules. It but wasn't now, very well fitting. I'll be no, honest. But now that's not the case. And I think this with partnerships and business. Back in the day, I had to thank you, sir. May I have another? Yeah. I had to take whatever. But if there are not everything... If we moved into a new industry, we tried something new, I'm going to be the new kid and I'm going to have to play by their rules. But if it's, but publishing, no, no, I get to make a, I get to make a whole new set of rules over the next five years. You just watch. By the way, you didn't get to make those rules for the first seven books exactly. that came out. The self-published books, the cookbooks, you know, you had to play by other 100%. rules. 100%. And now you're going to play by different rules. Yes. And I'm, I'm here for it. Yes. But I think the bottom line is... But if, we were talking about being locked in because of finances. I hate the idea of someone else being able to control me financially because it just feels like you're, you're trapped. And by the way, what's very interesting about this is this same reason that I love the idea of living debt free is if you sign under contract with someone, you, you know, you, you get your, you get a mortgage on a house, you lease a car, whatever, like you are locked into a contract. You don't know yeah. what is going to happen to your life next month. You don't know what's going to happen to the economy next year, but you are locked into something. You do not have control of that scenario. This decision that we made to live debt free, to do all of the things that we do in our relationship without having to be beholden to a lien holder or a mortgage company or Toyota USA Inc. or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for the Sienna. Has, I said thank you. They didn't give us one. Yeah. I want to clarify. Oh, no. We paid we paid we just, full we money. We just gave them money for it. <laughs> yes, sorry. But no, that decision, like the ability one, the ability to, man, I'm stinking grateful for, but that decision to do that. For a person in me who spent the majority of my life with anxiety about just money or certainty, like taking that off the table has lifted such an awesome burden off of my back. Gosh, I love it so much. Well, think of how many decisions we had to make. And by the way, we have not always been debt free. And what's crazy is that we had so many years where Dave had this incredible job that had an incredible salary and we didn't live, live debt free. Yeah. Because we were in LA, we were keeping up with the Joneses. It was all about appearances. It was all about what other people thought, which if you go back in time and look at it, how many years you spent locked into that job to keep us in the lifestyle that we had. Oh yeah, just to be clear, we've been married for now 15 years. We've been debt free 
for one of the 15 years. Yeah. Right? Like, we always carry debt. And we've been able to, over the course of time, get closer and closer and closer to not carrying debt. But as a thing to aspire for or a thing to, you know, Dave Ramsey's got a ton of really, really great tools that can help. If, If this is a thing for you that you think, man, what would it mean for my relationship to live debt free? Well, you can wonder about it or you could think it would be great. But if you don't create a plan to get you closer to that thing, we had to build a plan. And we had to build a plan that took every single one of the things that we owed money on and got us step by step closer to not having it as a thing that could be held over our heads Well, and how many years, probably two years, I tried to convince you to do this. Yeah. And you kept, you were like, that's not, it doesn't matter. It's not... It's fine. It's like you, like, was there a reason that you can, in retrospect, remember why you pushed back on it so much? Because basically, I've, I've had the opportunity to become friends with quite a few people who work at Ramsey. So Christy writes a dear friend and Rachel Cruz. And so I would go hang out with them. Well, this is a very funny. If you guys know the Ramsey organization and all their, um, like, how... Uh, intentional they are about using cash only and not using credit whatever there is nothing more awkward in the whole world than the first time I went to dinner (laughs) with Christy and Rachel and the bill comes and we're like oh the waitress oh you guys want to split it yeah we'll split it three ways and I throw down my MasterCard and Rachel and Christy both put down debit cards and it is a very awkward moment and they don't say anything but I felt so awkward like Oh, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awkward. Well, the psychology for me was the sacrifices that you have to make to get to the point of being debt free felt like they'd come at the expense of the life I wanted us to have in the short term. Yeah. And so I I do like the idea of being able to go on vacation. I do like the idea of being able to live at the time in a decent place in Los Angeles where property is in so just expensive. crazy expensive. I do. I did like the idea of being able to have like a disposable entertainment budget so that we could go out and do the stuff we wanted yeah. to do. And so like in my mind, it was like, you know what? I don't want to have to have that short term thing compromise what it means for us to have fun or enjoy our life. What I, of course, end up finding out, like most of the limiting beliefs that I have that end up being proven otherwise, when we made choices like, hey, let's find a place where we can live that costs less. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. This is a huge thing. If you're like, how did you do that? So I think I've talked about it before, but our friends Tom and Lisa have this saying that I love. Uh, Tom and Lisa Bilyeu will challenge each other. Like if one of them is like dreaming and they're like, oh, I want to do this. I want this or that or the other thing. Their challenge is, okay, no BS. What would it actually take? Yeah. What would it take for you? So for us, like what would it take for you? This was the questions we were asking ourselves 18 months, two years ago. What would it take for us to scale this business? I have this business at the time, had six or seven employees in Los Angeles Things were starting to really work, really felt like we were building something. But in order to grow it the way we wanted to, I knew we needed to scale. But there wasn't, I couldn't afford that in LA. And so we started to ask ourselves a question like, okay, what would this take? Well, it would take a lower cost of living. Yeah. It would take, like getting debt free 
it would take us selling our very expensive home in LA and using that to pay off debt, using that, going and buying a house, not even in Austin, out in the country. In the sticks. In the sticks, buying a house that we could pay cash for that was so much less expensive, like beyond less expensive than LA. It would mean giving up that lifestyle. It would mean giving up the fancy, you know, Audi. It would, like all of these things, it would mean giving up this stuff so that we could have the life we say we want. So, and by the way, like when you're like theoretically processing the trade off, part of your brain, because of like comfort zone being a thing that you're familiar with or the narrative that you've been living inside of, the idea of uprooting our family and moving it to another state felt like a lot to have to agree to to try and actually deliver on this opportunity to live debt free and opportunity to scale our business. The headline though ends up being we love we we like where we live on a factor of 10 times more oh, than beyond. where we lived before. Beyond. The experience of moving to Texas, it's been a little more than a year, has been unbelievably wonderful for our family in a way that when we were first talking about it and it felt scary because different is scary, it's been it's been such an amazing blessing that also by the way has allowed us to live debt-free and also, by the way, allowed us to scale the company. Well, so this is what's interesting about this idea. You can ask yourself, as a couple or as an invent individual, whatever dream, whatever goal, you've got your Start Today journal, you're writing down this vision you have of your life, what would it take? What would it actually take? Now, here's the question most people don't ask. What am I willing to do? Yeah. So you've got the list of people like, well, what would it take? Okay, great. Now you know what it would take, but what are you willing, like, what are you going to have to give up? Okay, what are you willing to give up? Because lots of people can figure out the first part, but aren't willing to do the second part, which is soul searching and truly identifying, okay, do you really want a different life or do you just say you want a different life? Because if you really want a different life, here's the path but you have to be willing to do it. Some of it too is like taking a step back to be able to actually take three steps forward once you've accomplished a thing. So like it might be going back to school. It might be getting the training that you need. It might, it might be, be moving in with your moving parents. Moving in with your parents for a season. Because you've got to pay down it, your student loan. It might be taking a free internship and having to really struggle for a second so that the experience you get makes you a candidate to get that great job that you actually want six months later when you actually and, you know, have the experience. Yeah, and maybe, dude, by the way, maybe you look at the list. This is what it would really take. And you're like, nah, I don't, I don't want that. But at least own that. At least stop making the excuses that you don't know how or you don't have the resources. No, no, no. You know the path. You're choosing not to do it. This is the thing about anybody who sets out on, on, a, on a journey to make change, particularly as it comes to finances. And th- I swear this is not an ad for Ramsey, but Ramsey will say this all the time. Like, you have to be willing to live your life in a way that most people won't. So you can eventually live a life that most people can't. I love that line. One of the things, though, that we've talked about is this idea of, like, what do you value in your relationship? And 
if you are currently in a relationship where your financial values are not aligned, Ooh, yes. you are going to have so many problems. Yeah. So like, it's one thing to say like, what is it going to take and where are you going to go? But first you have to be aligned on where it is that you actually want to go in your relationship financially. Because if one of you thinks, I want to save some money to actually afford a vacation, and one of you thinks, I want to save some money to actually afford this house, one of you is going to be super upset because you may not ever be able to afford both. Getting on that same page, understanding what the goal is, and then how you're going to organize your life and the things you have to do to get from where you are to where you want to go is super, super important. So start with that conversation. We have a conversation about the things that are important to us including a future version of our life where we get to come back to Hawaii in a place that we actually own. Yeah. Like, I, like we're, we're dreaming super big for the things we want in the future. It's going to take God only knows how long to actually get from where we are to where we want to be. But we, we are aligned on the thing that we're chasing. Yeah. And I think that that's really interesting because we have different approaches or different like desires as it pertains to how we spend our money. Like in a lot of ways, we're very similar, but even like coming on this vacation, Hawaii is my my special place. You're like, well, we could go to Cancun and it's a, you know, hour and 45 minute flight and it's less expensive. And, you know, to get to Hawaii, we got to fly eight hours with a two year old and all of these things. And you got to rent a house for all the time and the rental car and the whatever. And so what would you say to someone who's listening to this? And they're like, well, my partner and I are not at all like we want totally different things. You know, he's fine to rent forever. I really want to own a home or she really is likes to shop, but I want to pay off our debt. Like, what do you say to someone who's not aligned? I mean, my best advice would be to try and approach it the way you do with your mother-in-law on holidays on the calendar. Like mm. I'd make a list of all the things that are really important to you and a list of things that are all, you know, really important to them. And then lay those lists al alongside each other. And if there's some things that align, great. Those are things that can be shared priorities. And then you're playing a game of pick em dodgeball where you kind of have to decide to go back and forth a little bit and say, look, I'd like to have these two things. And I appreciate that you'd like to have those two things. I'll not chase a couple of the things on my list if you won't chase a couple of things on yours. But at least you can walk out of the conversation agreeing that, we're going to see each other at Thanksgiving and Easter, but not Fourth of July and New Year's. Well, I think there's also something to the idea of yours, mine, and ours. Yeah, that's like good. Like in our in our younger days, because now we're blessed to be in a place where this is we don't have to sort of lay it out this way. But in the earlier years of our marriage, to have these are the things that we're working on together. These are the things like basically our biggest expense back in the day. We didn't go anywhere. We didn't have vacations. We had a, we owned a townhouse and we had a mortgage. And so that's where our money went. But then there were certain things like you had a budget that you could spend on, you know, uh, what's the baseball thing you do where you play other people with your fake league. It's called fantasy baseball. Fantasy Please baseball. have a little bit more reverence <laughs> okay. for it. Okay. So like you ha could spend the money on fantasy baseball or like going to get drinks with your friends or whatever. And I might spend my entire budget in the month on Starbucks, which you could find totally ridiculous because that's not your thing. It is not my thing. But it was my thing. It's and still not my thing. Yeah, but... I drink that coffee because you forced me to. No, but what I'm saying is 
I think that there's something really powerful about deciding together what your budget is as individuals. And and whatever your person wants to do with that money, you don't get an opinion on that. Yeah. And I will. I, so different kind of topic, but somewhat adjacent to this. If you're in a relationship where there is 100% parity in how money comes into the household, you're a unicorn. Congratulations. I mean, like the, you know, one partner and other partner each contribute equally to the finances of the house. Uh, it's very rare. And I bring it up in part because there was, for a decent season of our relationship, me as a primary breadwinner for the family, or at least more of a, of a contributor to the mortgage or more of a contributor to the car payment. I was making more money, so I was contributing more. And because of that, I think I, on an unconscious level, I feel like a jerk for saying this out loud, but I'm gonna be honest, felt like I deserve to spend a little bit more of the discretionary money in ways that I wanted because I was the person who was making that money. And, uh, I just don't. I just don't believe that now. I think that was an immature version of the way. Now I, that I make more money. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Now that you make more money, yeah. I think that that was a bad way for me to think, and I don't want you to decide That's how hilarious. we spend all of our discretionary that is so money. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, what's What's so interesting? I talked about this a little bit. I'm trying to think of when. I don't know if it was either at Rise or on a recent podcast, I talked about this and it was a very small moment, but it was the thing that most people commented on. Oh, it was in coaching, in business coaching, because I taught on finances and I told this story of how much, this will not be everybody. I'm just going to go ahead and say this will not be everybody. There are all kinds of different families out there and you do what works for you. But I struggled so hard for so many years that you that there was so much disparity between how much you contributed and how much I contributed. Yeah. Like when I finally passed a tipping point where I really started to contribute to our finances in a way that was as strong as you, it was like I felt like it was like the first time I could take a breath in you know, a decade. Yeah. It was such a big deal. And I, I, the only reason I mention it is because so many women sent me notes and said, thank you for talking about that. Because they, it, similar to me, there was a lot of shame and guilt. Uh, and by the way, I think this happens to a lot of entrepreneurs, male or female. If one of your, if one part of the relationship is the breadwinner and the other one's an entrepreneur who's like building, 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 and your partner then has to buy into this dream with you that you're building something that's going to matter you carry a certain amount of shame around the fact that you, that it's not working yet yeah. no, and that you. you can't contribute financially in the way that your partner can't and that your partner is carrying all of that on their back. And it's, and then there's this part of you that thinks like I'm doing all this and I don't even have anything to show for it. Like I can't even, you know, one, one woman wrote me a note and was like, thank you for talking about that. I'm working so hard and I, and my husband's so supportive and we're fine, but like, I'm not even making enough money yet to pay for the babysitter. Like he has to pay for the babysitter so that I can go. So he's like doubly supporting and what a blessing to have this partner, but gosh, I feel guilty it's, about it. The, the interesting thing is I never, I, I'm trying to think of a time where I was like, uh, 
I'm sick of carrying this team on my back. No, I never you know? felt like, that, ever. It, it never even occurred to me. So it's more... And I, the thing is, I, as you're saying out loud, I can appreciate if I were in your shoes, I'd have probably felt the same way. Yeah. Because... Of course you want to be able to show like this thing I'm pouring 40, forget 40, 60, 70. <laughs> 65, 70 hours a week into giving blood at the office, staying up late after the kids have gone to bed. Like you want to be able to show that it's worth it because in some very, very fundamental way, there's some reflection of your own self-worth that is usually associated with being able to make money from the thing that you are doing. Absolutely. And so like, I, man, I was, I, I didn't get what you were doing every single day. Full confession. Like there were times when you were like, I got this great idea. I'm going to go do this thing. I'm like, you're going to go do what? <laughs> but I was like, okay, awesome. And by the way, like when I had a company tell me that they wanted to give me a raise or that they wanted to give me a contract, I didn't think of it as my, oh, good, I got more money for me. It was like, our family has more money. Like, this partnership of ours has money. It was never, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like you never, are always, 100%, I would agree, that was always your, the way that you were. You never felt like it was your money. I always felt like it was your money. Yeah, that's interesting. It's not because of you. It's because of me and my own psychology. Guess what? So, like, I, I had no problem buying groceries getting stuff for our families, buying clothes for our kids. But like, I would not go buy myself a nice purse. I would not get myself a pair of nice shoes Yeah. in the way that today, and I'm not that into those kind of things, but every once in a while I'll be like, Oh, I really want, you know, a, a pair, pair of sunglasses. sunglasses. I knew yeah. you were going to say it. Yeah. Um, and I'll just, and now I'm like, I'm going to go buy it. I would never do that. Here, by the before. way, I mean, I just wrote a full chapter in my book. If you don't need me, you won't love me. I mean, like... Yeah, that's what I was going to say, actually. I appreciate you brought it up. No, I mean, like, I went through a crazy... The, like, the baton pass of breadwinner, mm -hmm. especially as I'm leaving this job that had, for so many years, provided for our family. Goodbye, salary. Hello, entrepreneurship. Hello, small business. I mean, we made this decision before Girl Wash Your Face came out. So we didn't have evidence necessarily of all the great stuff that's been happening, happening when the book, when the books, when everything started taking off and you became um, not just the breadwinner, but you were able to contribute to our family on a magnitude that was greater than I'd ever been able to there was something in me that was triggered because I realized that in a backwards way, I associated my ability to provide as an insurance policy, as a reason why you liked me, as a thing that would keep me around, which, which you know, like plays into something for me that was about being rejected in seventh grade by Shelly, who didn't want to go to that <laughs> dang dance with me. But like, the, for whatever reason, I had a very transactional mindset around how like your ability to scale your business as it was continuing to grow was dependent on my income as a backstop in yeah. case that great big new idea didn't end up yeah. coming together in the way that it, you know, usually you had success. Usually you didn't need the backstop, but the fact that the backstop existed for me was a thing that I associated with part of what made you want me. And then when you didn't, 
You didn't. You don't need my money. Yeah. Right. Like you. You've had so much success that now that you don't need it, I struggled, and then I got past it. Like we had some yeah. really great. I mean, the good thing is like we've had a lot of great conversations that have debunked so much of the crap that I, you know, would have previously probably had to carry on into the old therapist's office and talk to Deborah about. And here it's just like, why am I having this freak out? Let's talk about it in real time. And you being able to walk me off that ledge. Well, thanks, honey. I'm glad you don't want, like me for my money. Well, I think, <laughs> so this is one of the things that we talked about that was very helpful, I think, for Dave. And maybe if you have a similar situation in your own relationship, this will help you. Is my thing is, I think this relationship is so much stronger and so much more powerful because I don't need anything from you financially. Yeah. Like I am in this relationship because I need you. Holla. You, Dave, my friend, my my partner, my lover. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I think that's so much stronger. Like, wouldn't you want to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't need things from you like that? Because then they're really just in it for you. Of course. Of co- I mean, like. Uh, in this in this chapter, the, I end up also talking about how hard it's been in friendships that I, because of the role I had in different companies on the entertainment side of the business, had perks that I could dangle in front of friends to make them, you know, my plus one at a premiere or I, I don't whatever. like that you say dangle because I don't feel like you like dangled it like, oh, be friends with me and you get these things. I think we had a lot of friends that as soon as they knew what you did for a living were asking you for passes to Disneyland, for premiere tickets, for Yeah, but I I, I have to I own some of the responsibility of gaming i put a little bit of a finger on the scale as it were every once in a while because of just insecurity about wanting to have for i mean like god it sounds so pathetic but just like wanting to have friends want to be friends it was like well you might not want to be friends with me just for me so how about these fancy tickets to a premiere you know but anyway the thing that ended up corrupting basically any of those friendships was I didn't have an ability to parse whether they were actually in relationship for me or actually in relationship for the gift with purchase that came as a part of being my friend. And so I, trust me, understand completely the idea that like finances or anything that has value being a plus one to what it means to be in relationship, not having that, it's awesome. I love that you don't need me in that capacity because it wasn't ever a thing that was a factor, you know, truly until I had to think about it. And then once I did, I realized, oh, that's garbage to even have it be a thing that was in the back of my head. So we've talked about family of origin. We've talked about essentially like how you spend, you know, talking, having a conversation with your partner about how you spend how you want to save, what you're, you know, all that sort of stuff. Are you living debt free? Are you going to take on debt? All, having those conversations. I feel like it's important to also talk about being in alignment on how you want to make money. And I don't mean what job you have. I mean, we've talked about this before. We did an episode about how we're not like other couples and how we're okay with that. And one of the ways that we are not like other couples is, we are very ambitious, very ambitious. 
And we are very ambitious as it pertains to wealth. And by the way, I didn't say, oh, I want to get rich. I'm talking about wealth. I'm talking about something that is generational. I'm talking about something that my great, great, great grandchildren will still be benefiting from the work that I'm doing today. And that to me is because my great, great grandparents made sacrifices so that I could live the life that I'm living today. So I think it's important to be in alignment with your partner and have a conversation with your partner of, are we both interested in earning? Am I going to be the the main earner? Am I going to be the only earner? And by the way, we had to say this the last time we brought this up. You may hear the word wealth and because of the kind of stigma that money tends to have in society, be repulsed by it. Like, how could you? And the point is not that you share the same kind of things that we share, but it's that you actually do the work to identify what you do want to pursue as it pertains to money. We have plenty of friends that have absolutely no interest in doing anything more than getting just a hair more money than they need to live. To live. Yeah. And, and they're so happy. And they're the happiest people on earth. God bless them. It's more that you need to know and make sure that what you as an individual want is aligned with the partner that you're in relationship with. Because again, that misalignment is a recipe for relational disaster. I think so. And I think that there's, so like, I imagine I, there are all kinds of people. So like we have friends who are couples where this is very like gender specific, but it could be either way, but like where he is very ambitious, very focused, hardcore earner, high performer, and she is stay-at-home mama, takes care of the house, and both of them thrive in that. Like, she loves her role, he loves his role, and he loves, she loves that he's out there doing that thing, and he loves that he comes home to comfort and care and a, and a helpmate and, like, all of those things. As long as you are in agreement that that's what you guys are about, Because what happens so often, again, I'm going to be specific as it pertains to gender, but is that you bring your family of origin and how they functioned, the the guy does this or the girl does this or one of us does this and the other person does that, and you put those beliefs on your partner. So how that showed up for us was we both were working, we both had careers, I ended up building this company was very small at the time. And then I got pregnant and everybody wanted me to like, not you, but like everyone's like, well, when you're going to quit, you're going to quit your company. You're going to be a stay at home mom. All of our family, yeah. All of our family. And then in later years with your job, everybody, Oh, your wife works. Why would your wife work? Like, and it was almost some question about you as a man, like, well, why does your wife need to work? Don't you make an, like, it was so twisted. And so I think it's important that you as a couple decide, hey, this maybe changes in a season or two, but this is how I plan to show up. How do you plan to show up? In that you don't assume that your partner is one or the other. Oh, by the way, I think too, this is not a thing that like you do a one-time check-in and then you just live the rest of your married life uh, together, assuming that no one has any change of heart whatsoever 
on this topic because like there may be for some of you uh, like ambition that when you do decide to have kids changes how you feel about wanting to return to the workforce. Yes. And if that's a thing that ends up having a shift in you, you need to make sure that your partner understands that that shift has taken place. And the opposite is true, too. Yeah, that's if, good. If you're doing the hardest job on earth, staying home with kids and taking care of a house, and one day you wake up and you decide, you know what, they're actually at school for this many hours, and I now want to pursue this side hustle, Have the, you got to have that conversation, too. Well, I was going to say, I just thought of a couple that we know where... They went into the marriage. They're both working. They have a mortgage. They're, you know, they're working on this together. They have, they decided to have a baby, but never had a conversation about it. And then at, towards the end of her pregnancy, she's like, oh, I'm going to be a stay at home mom. And the guy was like, what? Because without even a conversation, she just assumed this is the plan. And now this man has all of this on his shoulders. So not, now, obviously, I want to do what my wife wanted to do, but oh my gosh, your salary is going to disappear, and now what I have to make up the difference, and we have a mortgage. So I just think it's, we, there's that old saying, when you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. Oh, you have oh, a dirty mouth. I know. But it's like, don't, don't assume, especially not as it pertains to finances, because it's too important. It's too important. So then here's the last thing, and then we have to go. <laughs> because we are still in Hawaii for 1.4 days now. Uh, I, I would encourage if you are in a relationship where one of the two of you, but not both of you, understands where you are financially. Ooh, yes. That you, even if it's a thing that you think, I'm not really that into, I don't really care that much, or I don't understand it, that you push to understand even at the highest level tops of the trees where you as a couple are in relationship for too many years i was the person who really understood and took care of all of the things that were happening inside of our household financially 100% and as much as yep it's a like spiritual gifting i understand numbers and i get like kind of geeky about how we approach investing or making decisions about, you know, when we were buying a house, going with this lender versus that lender. Um, in a weird way, it had me making decisions that sometimes felt like they weren't fully transparent to what, you know, would normally be total transparency in our relationship. There was a heaviness in carrying that. But then also when we did start really having joint conversations about every single thing. Rachel's got a, obviously a ton of opinions about where we should be focused on our philanthropic giving, where we should be focused on or shouldn't be focused on doing anything with whether in, in every capacity. So my, my biggest point is if you, whether you're the man or the woman have tended to defer, stay away from not be involved in the conversations about finances in your relationship Get just involved enough. Well, like, go listen to episode 98 of the Rise podcast. I interviewed David Bach about oh yeah. this exact topic. So good. Of He was a financial advisor who just had years and years of 
women especially, like if you are in a relationship where you are a woman and you're in a relationship with a man, statistically, you will outlive your partner by 20 years. What? 20 years, statistically. Oh, my goodness. So he, as a financial advisor, would have so many women coming into his office between the ages of like 50 and 70 who had lost their husband and had no idea where anything was. No idea. What was it? Did they have money? Did they not have money? Never had looked at it and were in these. He, his family had owned this firm. And he said, these women would come into to my dad's office. His dad was the principal. Uh, would come into his dad's office and say, like, well, Morty always said that you would take care of me. And his dad, of course, of course I will. And David's thinking, what if my dad was an evil man? Yeah. Like, these women don't know any better. And so they're putting all of their trust into someone they don't know like you've got to know so go listen to episode 98 if you have already listened to it um he's written so many books but his most famous for smart women finish rich it, uh, old school book been on every list in the world sold a bajillion copies go grab it and dig into what you need to know and and how do you figure it out and saying i don't know or i don't understand finances is not an excuse I know that most of us did not go grow up with financial literacy. I did not grow up with financial literacy. It does not mean that you cannot figure it out. The, the, your family of origin and the way that they had or didn't have money is not your death sentence. You have to decide today, like this is your future, you guys. This is your future. And right now, too many people are throwing away their future and their present buying crap they don't need to impress people they don't even really like. Most of the members of our community who are struggling financially, I love you, but I talk to you after conferences, I get the notes. It's not because they don't have the means. It's that they have money and then they spend it on stuff they shouldn't be spending it on. Remember, if, if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. And if you're not in conversation with your partner or if you're single in conversation with yourself about what the intentions are and where you are going financially, you're going to continue to spiral. Have a plan. Talk about it. If you don't know how to do it, this is my broken record announcement for the week. Every single thing you want to know how to do in life exists on the internet for free right now. So don't tell me that you don't know because the information is out there, which means you are choosing this ignorance. Money's one of those things, y'all, in society, maybe in your family, maybe in your household, that can be a little bit taboo. And it is also one of the biggest things that will get in the way of you having an exceptional relationship if you keep it as a taboo. So get out of your own way. Go and have a conversation today about what it is that you, as a couple, value when it comes to finances. Go and have a conversation today about the state of your finances. Hey, if you like this episode, we always want to get feedback from you guys, but the only way we get feedback is through social media. So screenshot today's episode, tag Dave and I, and tell us um, what was helpful and what you would love us to dig into more detail on. Maybe you heard a little something you're like, dang, I really wish they'd unpack that idea. Please tell us because we want to create content that helps you specifically. 
Thank you so much for listening to Rise Together. We hope you love today's episode and be sure and subscribe so you get a new notification every single time we post an episode. See you next week.